Chapter Twelve of Four Mothers at Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some Settled Things. Burnham Roberts never remembered to have enjoyed a drive better than that one in which he was supposed to have sacrificed himself for the sake of his mother's protege. Hazel, as he began to call her in his secret soul, was simply charming. When she laughed, her eyes were irresistible. When she was serious, they were heavenly. Here at last was a girl who satisfied one's ideal, and he meant to find ways to cultivate her acquaintance. Nor did it once occur to the volatile youth that he had in the course of the last six years cultivated the acquaintance of at least half a dozen other girls who were simply charming. For the present there was but one girl in the world. The all-important question was how should he manage to meet her again without loss of time? Fortune favored him. On the morning after the drive he came face to face with her as he was leaving the post office. He saw her face flush as she caught sight of him, and could not know that it was because she was wearing a jacket that she knew looked too heavy for the day. He joined her at once, congratulating himself openly. I was just trying to plan an excuse for calling, and being afraid that you did not receive calls at such an early hour. Do you? Oh, no, she said breathlessly. I don't receive calls at all. He raised his eyebrows at that. Really? That sounds dreadfully inhospitable. How then are your friends to meet you? Hazel laughed a little. I didn't mean quite that, she said. I don't want to appear rude, but I am just a young girl in my aunt's family. I have no friends here, so of course— He interrupted her. Are not my mother and I your friends? Do you mean that you will not count us in that list? Oh, no, indeed, she said eagerly. Your mother has been perfectly dear, and I am so grateful to you for that lovely drive and for—but you see— her confusion was lovely, but he broke into the embarrassed pause. Very well, then, that part is settled. Let us understand that we are friends for all time. I understand also about the calling. If your aunt has too many friends for the close quarters that obtain in summer lodging-houses in the country, so that you feel yours crowded out, will meet under the trees as the squirrels do, or in my mother's sitting-room at the hotel." he made haste to add, as he saw her face shadow, she will always be glad to see you. Now about this evening, do you go to the concert? No, or, yes, perhaps. What is the concert? What a disloyal Chautauquan not to know the program. The concert is a choir rendering of the Sleeping Beauty. Do you turn here? You will be at home before I have time to tell you about the Sleeping Beauty. Do you know the story? I never heard of it. Then suppose we walk toward the lake while I tell you about it. It will not detain you long. You are not in special haste this morning, are you? Haven't you so much time to spare for your friends? She laughed a little at the pretense of reproach in his tone, but she hesitated. There was no work really pressing just then, and nothing had been said about her quick return but her aunt was always annoyed when she was longer in coming than her errand warranted. Besides, how could she explain her absence? Let me persuade you, he said, almost making the turn. 
it is just the morning for a walk and you will enjoy the concert better if you get a touch of the story beforehand you must certainly hear it to-night part of the music is delicious hazel made a sudden reckless decision and took two steps forward he noted it and felt triumphant then he began to talk it is an old tale of the days of the fairies there is a beautiful princess who is the central figure she is the lovely daughter of a great king and was destined by the good fairies to happiness they promised all sorts of delightful things at her birth they spun the web of her life at her cradle and as they spun they sang we give thee beauty we give thee power and happy years and that happiest hour when to a tender loving heart another love beats counterpart they knew you see that the flower of real happiness blossoms at just that time but a wicked fairy who hated her family and plotted revenge came to overturn all this and vowed at her cradle that ere the buds of her youth are blown ere a score of her years have flown she must wither and droop on the earth she must die oh said hazel pitifully yes but listen the good fairies intervene and although they have not power to break the spell entirely they promise this though the spell and its potent sway close her eyes and in slumber enshroud her yet shall there dawn a day when a young voice stronger and louder than spell of witchcraft rings through the silent years then she wakes then she hears oh said hazel again this time with a delicious little laugh what lovely nonsense do they sing all that yards of it i have just given you a hint did the wicked fairy have her will yes indeed for a hundred years but she awakened he came the knight with the young strong voice and said to her yield thy form to my arms that enfold it yield thy mouth to my life-giving kiss instantly her soul awakened and the knight explained about the hundred years of slumber then this is the concluding number by this time they were quite near the lake but it was deserted that morning the program attractions being too great for even the careless ones to lose burnham glanced swiftly about him and finding that they were practically alone let his fine tenor voice tell the story in song great love has guided our steps has lighted our way it beckons it leads to a haven of rest to a goal to a home we ask not whither we follow its potent behest we hasten we come he had reason to be flattered with the effect of the song on his audience a lovely flush overspread hazel's face and her breath came in little catches of surprised delight the music fascinates me she said when he stopped i never heard any just like it you must hear it to-night he said making a movement toward the walk for their momentary solitude was over a troop of young people were rushing gaily down the hill burnham was glad to see them another moment of quiet and under the spell of those lovely eyes he might have said something that would have spoiled all his plans he contented himself now with asking may i call for you this evening oh no hazel said quickly no thank you it will not be in the least necessary i go there often you know and if i am not ready when the others go i shall not mind going alone i am used to it 
but I am not proposing to come because it is necessary, only because I want the pleasure of it. Why may I not call and accompany you? Is your aunt the wicked fairy who has bewitched you into not wanting any friends? If so, let me be the knight who will break the spell. She laughed a little and flushed under his gaze. She was confused and happy and frightened. Oh, I want friends, she said under her breath, and there was unconscious tragedy in her voice. I don't think anybody in the world can want them more, but— Then let me be your friend and escort. I promise to shield you carefully from all the pomps and vanities of this wicked Chautauqua. I am prepared to guard you with drawn sword if necessary. Knights always wear swords, you know. He accomplished his purpose and made her laugh again. Her laugh was very charming. But his next words frightened it away. I am to begin, remember, by coming for you this evening at half-past seven. Indeed, Mr. Roberts, I cannot go at all if you persist in that. My aunt I am perfectly certain would not approve, and I am here in her care. I have no one else in all the world. I won't do anything to trouble you, but please make me understand. What is there for anyone to disapprove? Can you think of anything more commonplace than my suggestion? Am I to infer that your aunt objects to all company for you? Or do you mean me to understand that I am especially obnoxious to her? Hazel was already ashamed of her vehemence, and broke into a little laugh as she said, I think you must suppose me to be an idiot. All I mean is that my aunt is not accustomed to think of me as a grown person. In her eyes I am just a child who does not yet know how to behave well away from her elders. I have never had any company of my own since I came to her home, and the idea of my going out with a gentleman, or receiving a call from one, would be simply frightful to her. I wonder if I am at all succeeding in making you understand. I think you are, he said gaily, but the gaiety was to cover a rush of very different emotions. He felt the strongest possible desire to take this girl in his arms and say, Yield thy mouth to my life-giving kiss. It's all right, he added cheerfully as they mounted the hill. I think your aunt has a touch of the other fairy about her, but we will not undertake to break the spell rudely, lest she might consider a straitjacket necessary. But you will come to the concert to-night, will you not? I want you to hear that music. I think the south side will be the better place to secure seats, perhaps the third aisle section. Suppose you try to find one there? If I chance to see you and can be of service, I shall be glad. He was lifting his hat ceremoniously now, preparing to leave her at her corner. Crowds of people were passing. Let them pass. All the world might make note, if they wished, of a gentleman lifting his hat to a lady in courteous good-bye. Hazel went home in a flurry. Her aunt would be sure to make note of her long absence. What would she ask, and what would she reply? It was better than her fears. Her aunt was absorbed and annoyed by some bills that had just come in, and did not consider time. She was, however, in anything but an amiable humor. How can one be amiable who has bills to pay of unexpected magnitude, and no money with which to pay them? Her directions throughout the morning were crisper than usual, and she was harder to suit. It is true that Hazel may have called for a greater expenditure of patience than usual. 
she felt in a flutter of excitement. Something wonderful had happened. She had a friend. For all time, he had said. Then he meant somehow to see more of her. How could he? Should she go to the concert? Yes, she would. She must hear the whole of that story, despite the fact that she had nothing bright and pretty to wear like other girls. The brown skirt and jacket did very well, though, for evenings. It was always chilly at night in the amphitheatre. But should she go around to the south side? She often did, because she liked it better. Still, to-night, it would look as though— Then her aunt startled her and made great scarlet waves rush over her face by saying sharply, "'Hazel, what is the matter? I have spoken to you three times without being noticed. You act as though you had been bewitched.' She did go to the concert. She was much too late to go with the others, who rushed away early to secure good seats, so she went alone. But this was her own fault. Isabel offered to wait and dry the dishes if she would only hurry, and her aunt told her to pile up the dishes and leave them until morning if she wanted to. She did nothing of the kind. The dishes were washed and dried, and the kitchenette put in perfect order before she left it. She was very late, she told herself, and of course no one would be looking for her to come at such an hour, but she went around to the south side, the third section from the choir. All the world had apparently done the same, and no vacant seat was visible anywhere, but Burnham Roberts was. He stepped out of chaos. One moment she saw nothing of him, the next he was moving beside her down the incline. As they neared the front, two boys, each the richer by a quarter of a dollar than he was an hour before, suddenly slipped out of the excellent seats they had been occupying and skipped away. Despite the heavy brown suit which, being much worn in all weathers and being shoddy in the first place, was growing shabby, Hazel had never looked prettier than she did that evening. Josephine, recognizing her from the extreme north side of the amphitheatre, became suddenly and anxiously aware what a very pretty girl her cousin was. "'Dangerously pretty,' she said with a little sigh. Josephine was years older than she, and knew something of this dangerous world. Under the spell woven by the music and the ring in their ears of these closing words, great love has guided our steps, has lighted our way, it lives, it is here. Those two, Hazel and her friend, left the amphitheatre together. She made no demur when he placed her hand on his arm and guided her away from the moving throngs to the quieter street where she lived. They walked rapidly, he talking pleasant commonplaces, and she almost silent. Once he referred to the speed they were making. "'I am taking you home by the shortest route, in order to reach there before the other fairy does, lest she be roused to action.' Do you understand? Then, without waiting for answer, did you like it? The music? Some of it was delightful, but it was too sad. Think of it, a hundred years asleep. A hundred years can be compressed sometimes into a single week. He left her to puzzle over what he might mean by that, and asked if she liked to watch ball games. Was it possible that she had never seen a game? Then she must go to-morrow, it promised to be an exciting affair. He would like nothing better than to call for her if— then he felt the tremor of her hand on his arm and added hastily, 
Never mind, I understand. We are not sufficiently accredited as yet. I shall boldly bring my mother some day and call upon you. But at least I may secure you a seat for the game? Remember that your friend will be watching for you. Good night. Returning, he met the woman whom he had discovered to be Hazel's aunt, and mentally shook his fist at her. Old vixen, he muttered. If I don't find some way soon to checkmate you, I'm not the fellow I think I am. When her aunt and cousins reached home, Hazel was in her attic. They saw the light as they approached the house. I believe that child did not go out after all, her aunt said. Josephine considered this, and decided for the present to be silent. Hazel in her attic, indifferent to bugs and bats and even mice, her eyes shining like stars, her cheeks very crimson, quoted softly from the cantata words that had clung to her heart. Guarded and gilded by the hand of love, such was thy past, such shall thy future be. She did not know what she meant by appropriating them, except that first line that had been true of her life. She did not mean anything, only she had a friend. It was about that time that Eureka Harrison, who had not attended the concert, turned her pillow resolutely as a token that she meant to stop thinking and go to sleep. As she did so, she told herself emphatically, "'Now I have settled that, and I don't need to keep thinking it all over. I am to marry Burnham Roberts.'" End of chapter 12